Hey there, welcome to Motos and Friends, a new weekly podcast from the editorial staff at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells, and I'm the founder and president, and it's my pleasure to host this very first episode. We want to keep this whole thing pretty loosey-goosey, kind of nice and informal. So there will be different hosts, different guests, and of course, different aspects of motorcycles and the lifestyle every week. This is an evolving program, so we'd welcome any input and suggestions, good or critical, on what we're doing. So please let us know. In this first episode, I get to chat with Associate Editor David Boba. And he recently attended the launch of the new Ducati Multistrada V4. And I got his thoughts on the bike, on riding, and even his experience on the Alpine Star safety gear that he was wearing at the time. David is an instructor and part of the ownership group at the Yamaha Champions Riding School, a.k.a. the YCRS. Uh, So it was an interesting chat. I hope you enjoy it. I'm a minority owner at the uh, Yamaha Champions Riding School. I've been an instructor for a couple years now. I uh, was a, a longtime student of the school. The uh, ownership group are my close friends. They mentored me through my riding journey and in, in you know sort of every step of the way. And it was just a natural evolution for me to become part of ownership to help them a little bit on the business side, just given my background in sort of the white collar world, for lack of a better term. Um, and uh, thankfully, I, I listened enough to them over the years that they thought I was capable enough as a motorcyclist to be able to help a certain type of rider at the school. You know, if you're, you know, shooting for lap records and podiums, uh, we have a great roster of instructors for that. Kyle Wyman, Chris Paris, Nick Ionach, Cody Wyman, sure. et cetera. Um, sure. You know, but for for the everyday rider who wants to maybe bump up from the B group to the A group on a, on a track day or for the C group to the B group or who does a lot of street riding and rides technical challenging roads. I am hopefully a, a good fit for that type of rider to be able to help them increase their speed safely, implement the techniques and tools that the best in the world are using, whether it's on a racetrack or on the road and just help them creep up on their version of next levels and next steps for them. So very happy to be a part of that. And it's been super rewarding and enjoyable. Good. Yeah. I, I mean, just just looking at the way you ride and just having watched you progress over the last few years, you're very much a, a textbook kind of guy. I mean, I, it's been quite interesting, but um, even the the pictures of you, you, you clearly sort of look at the various lessons that have been learned over the years by, um, you know, when you look at how riding has developed in the last, I was going to say last 30 years, but really probably the last 15 or 20 really in the 2000s in the in the sort of modern moto gp era you look at how the styles have changed and you've really sort of taken that on board in those lessons so kudos to you for for making it for making it work uh, well, I think it's, thank, thank you thank you so much for saying that that means so much coming from you i, I i've always admired the way you ride and Thanks. Not only the way you look, but the way you handle the motorcycle and 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 your your level of control and, and and adjustability. One of the things that we talk a lot about at the school is if you're really ambitious about your riding, we want you to train for the unexpected, not the expected. So sure. we're up in the canyons, we come around a blind turn on Angeles Forest Highway, and there's gravel. In, you know, at, right at the point where you're changing direction, are you able to? compartmentalize that moment and make the adjustments necessary to avoid any drama. Uh, whether it's reducing lean angle, getting a little bit harder on the brakes while you're trail breaking in or whatever the technique is, we want to train people to be prepared for the unexpected. And that happens, as you know, in a race on a track day, most people who race will tell you that they, they rarely are able to do a clean lap during a race because they're either passing somebody being passed, they have to change their line. And those same principles apply. And for me, you know, I always felt like I didn't start riding motorcycles until I was uh, about 43 and I'm 54 now. So I was very late to the party. And when I started to see people ride the way I wanted to ride, I was really inspired by that. That really um, compelled me to want to learn from people who do it a lot better than me. Sure. And in the end, w- w- what I always say at the school to the to students is take comfort in knowing that we're all actually working on the same things. It's just the different degrees of application. When I talked to Kyle about how he won Daytona two years ago, 
he said that he was able to get better exits because he respected the slowest part of the corner better than his competitors. And even though Daytona is a very wide open, fast track, there are moments where the direction change matters incredibly. It matters a lot. And in those moments, he was able to get better drives on exits because he was going slower in the slow parts. And so we tell students that all the time. It's not about who gets to the throttle soonest. It's about who gets to wide open throttle soonest looking for pace and lap times. And that comes with getting direction. I'm working on direction change just like Kyle is, just like the student who comes in who has one year of riding experience and he's in, he's in the C group at a track day. He might be going faster in the slow part of the corner than Kyle is because he thinks he needs to carry more corner speed. But in the end, the, we want to straighten out the racetrack as much as possible. And that means going slow in the slow part so that you can go faster in the fast part. So it's really just about the same techniques and the degree of application. And when I started to uh, embrace that as a rider and, and then as an instructor, it was comforting to know that everybody's working on the same stuff. And for me, because I didn't have a lot of natural ability and I didn't grow up doing it, I was very inspired by the technique. So when you say I'm a technical rider, that means a lot to me because that's really what I've worked so hard on is to be able to do what the best in the world are doing at my degree of application that's, that's safe and comfortable for me at the pace that I want to go at. Um, but is the same techniques that the best in the world are doing. So right, it's quite it's quite interesting because the way you're, the way you're talking, it's you know you're anybody listening to this is going to get the impression that you're this sort of slow, steady dude. It's anything <laughs> but you're faster than shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah. I hate people. I would hate people to think, yeah, you know, old David, you know, slow and steady. Absolutely not. <laughs> but it's interesting how applying the right techniques can really increase your speed to where you're clearly still well within your comfort zone but you're traveling faster than heck um and i think that's and that's that's interesting that, that's very interesting to me anybody could anybody can ride slowly anybody can ride like a wuss but if you can ride fast and um you know and still stay well within well within the margins that's that's real technique and i think you've you've learned that well thank you for saying that you know the, the last thing i'll say about that is just that Nobody buys high performance motorcycles to go slow. So no. we hear a lot about we hear a lot of people at other schools and even sometimes we hear it at our school that you know when you're riding on the street just slow down. And that's just not necessarily the only piece of advice that you want to give a student who really enjoys riding in the canyons, riding in the mountains, you know, putting the sport into sport touring. We don't yeah. encourage you to ride at the razor's edge. We always say leave 30% in reserve for those moments of unpredictability, but sure. we want to encourage people to ride at a pace that, that they've, that they aspire to. We just want them to do it safely. So right. my, my journey into going quicker on a racetrack or on the street is, is always tempered with, uh, do I have anything in reserve on the street? Am I creeping up on those limits technically versus emotionally? I, I, of course, emotionally, we want to pass the guy in front of us. We want to go quicker but technically, are we ready to do that? And as a technical rider versus an emotional rider, I can use those techniques to creep up on my version of what I'm aspiring to, sure. hopefully without a lot of drama. So anyway. Um, well, let's, let's sort of um, talk about the case in point. I mean, uh, you very uh, uh, graciously um, accepted our invitation to, to go ride the Multistrada. Um, the new V4... Um, we were interested in, in having you write because you are a, or you were a multi-strata owner. And as you said in your story, you have owned multiple V, you know, multiple ADV bikes. So uh, well, what was your overall impression of the bike? And how did you really feel about this thing? Well, I mean, um, it's, it's a very different motorcycle from the generation of multi-strata that I owned, which was in 2015 and 16. Uh, it has a 19 inch front rim. It has a completely rebuilt engine. It has different ergonomics. Um, and so there were, there were, there were things about it that were very different from a sort of rideability standpoint. But what I will say is overall, you know, getting on the motorcycle, going into the first technical turn within a turn or two, I felt like I had been riding the, the, the bike for, you know, a year or more. It just felt it was easy to ride. It was 
uh, very confidence inspiring, which I know is a term that journalists like to use all the time, but uh, it really did make you feel like whatever you were going to throw at it, as long as you weren't abrupt and, uh, you know, lacking the, the skill able to get the bike to do what you wanted it to do, that it was going to deliver. And then some, it was a way more capable motorcycle than I am rider. And that's always the barometer for me. I mean, most motorcycles these days are so well engineered. We're living in such a great age of, of motorcycle engineering and development. Yeah. As you know, most motorcycles are way more rider uh, motorcycle than I ever will be rider. But this one, you just really knew that if you did your job and you got out of the way in the moments when you needed to, that the bike was going to deliver. And it did deliver in spades. It is a high performance, elegant, refined, incredibly well handling, composed motorcycle in all situations, including um, including off-road, which unfortunately is not my forte. And I and I had the great pleasure of, of dropping one in the dirt. Um, but uh, <laughs> thankfully, I was able to pick it up and it was totally rideable, which is another good sign for a 20 plus thousand dollar cycle. Um, uh, but you know what they what they did in terms of the engineering and design to make it a dual sport motorcycle. I think the vast majority of people who buy it will ride it mostly on asphalt. But as it relates to where it stacks up against its competitors in the ABV segment, it's more than capable for a big heavy uh, motorcycle that you that you may want to take off road if that's you know something that interests you. So I was very impressed with it overall. My first my first thought was they're going to take that that crazy v4 you know 200 horsepower plus motor and put it into an off-road chassis i mean that's insane i mean why would you do that it just didn't seem to sort of make any sense to me but actually i mean they they've changed the motor a fair bit from you know the one in the street fighter and the panigale so what what have they done what what have, what have they done with that did it was it really that much different or from a from a rider perspective uh what i what i felt about the v4 um the changes that they made to the v4 for the multi versus the street fighter or the panigale was that it was very usable power if you wanted it to be mental it was more than happy to comply but if you wanted it to be you know right around town on the highway cruising through the canyons it was more than willing to to do that as well and it didn't you know some motorcycles that stay in the in the middle of the power band they uh they almost fight it you can almost feel like it's pushing you to go faster it's like come on there's there's i've got more right. in here what are you waiting right. for let's go i want to do a wheelie i want to do a i want to back it in i'm ready to go i'm and this is not a hooligan bike but it but it can be if in the right hand <laughs> at the same time they really sweetened the sweet spot of the power delivery for the rider that I think they know is going to be the vast majority of riders who buy this motorcycle. So, you know, you, you, you shift less if you want to, you can be a little lazy with shifting, even though it has an auto blip, which is, I think needs to be standard on all motorcycles going forward. Right. Same here. I mean, I'm, I'm at the point where I can barely ride without one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not so sure. My, I, I did have to learn how to blip downshift when I was, you know, training to be an instructor at the school and I got decent at it over time. But to take that piece away from the thought process just gives me more brain power to focus on other things. And it sounds, it's sure. giggle inducing really when you, when you're bombing into a corner and you, you know, you blip downshift from third to second and the bike just doesn't move at all and makes that glorious sound, ba -boom, ba -boom, you know, <laughs> right. it's, um, it's, <laughs> it's pretty fulfilling. So I, I think, they made a lot of changes to the engine. The service interval intervals on the valves is incredibly impressive. And I'm not a mechanic, but the idea that you have to, you, you, you can wait 36,000 miles for, for, you know, to have the valves uh, serviced is pretty amazing um, compared to other bikes in its class. Um, and this is, this is, this is a non-desmodromic motor. Isn't that's it? right. This is using finger follows. Yeah, that's right. Um, and obviously, and obviously partly because of that and just partly because of the kind of motorcycle Obviously, it doesn't carry the kind of revs that the that the other one. Um, it produces peak horsepower, I think, at ten and a half thousand RPM. But uh, so presumably, it doesn't rev a lot higher than that. Presumably, it maxes out at about eleven and a half or twelve or something. Yeah, I think I think I think the red line is eleven thousand. I right. think, which 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 really 
is absolutely fine for that kind of bike. And it produces, what, 92 foot-pounds of torque? I mean, that's absolutely monster. I mean, it's really easy to chuck these numbers out. But how, do, how does that how does that feel? You know, there, there, there was a mo- there were a couple moments when we got on the asphalt, which is more my natural environment. So I was able to enjoy it a little bit more <laughs> the second half of the day. That was an opportunity for me to kind of play with the power delivery and the, and the electronics and the settings, which we should talk a little bit about all the amazing electronics that this bike comes with. But, um, you know, I would, there'd be mo- I'd be, you know, kind of coming into a, into a tight right hander and I'd, get on the gas a little bit harder than I normally would to get myself a little bit nervous so that I could squeeze on the brakes and play with brake pressure and trail braking. And, you know, you'd, you'd have to, I guess the best way that I could say it in terms of the engine is you would have to really manhandle the throttle to get it out of sorts. Let's put it that way. If, if you're relatively smooth with your inputs, the bike is going to respond back to you in a way that's very linear, but very powerful. So it's not that it's impossible to get caught out because on a bike that fast and that powerful, yeah, you absolutely can get caught out if you're not if you're not careful, if you're not looking where you should be going, if you're ham fisting the throttle at the wrong time. But even if you do all those things, there are so many components uh, woven into the motorcycle that will help to save you from the moment of drama versus, uh, let's say, getting close to drama. Right. right. So. What I found was that unlike other Ducatis in the spirit of candor, I've ridden other Ducatis and they were a little bit more abrupt going from first to second gear. The on off throttle could be a little snatch snatchy at times where you kind of lurch forward. I I didn't feel any of that. I have to say, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who actually just bought one and this motorcycle made me feel a little bit like Ducati went out and, uh, and and poached a bunch of engineers from Germany and created <laughs> uh, you know this this real refined predictable uh, delivery across all the different components whether it's the rideability the electronics the ability to just have it be a functional bike in lots of different environments it felt very German. Right. <laughs> I don't know well, if anybody's going to love me saying that, but that's kind of the Well, speak, I, I mean, speaking of which, I mean, I know you've owned and been a big fan of the of the big BMW, the XR1000. So a V4 yep. is an inline four, but are you in a position to sort of kind of throw a little bit of a comparison there? I know it's a couple of years since you've ridden that bike, but. Yeah, no, I, I owned it. I, I actually own a GS currently. I have a, a 1200 GS from 2018 and I owned an XR for three years and the XR was actually my track bike. Right. Uh, as you know, cause we've, we've ridden on the track together with when I had it and we've, I think we've, we've ridden in the canyons together on the XR as well. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I can, there, there are a lot of, uh, comparisons that can be made between the XR and the, uh, and the multi, I would say <clears throat> that on the street, if you're going for a spirited ride in the mountains where you're going to be riding technical roads and you want to bring out the sport in the, in the multi there, there, there's nothing that the multi can't do that the XR can do. Uh, if you wanted to take the multi to the track and you were going to do a comparison between the multi and the XR on a racetrack, I think the XR is going to have the edge simply because of the 17 inch front right and the time really that you can comes, put, sure it and the time of course right good point and of course you can't get high perform high hyper sport tires for the multi but you can and i'm really happy to see the tire manufacturers in the last couple of years have accepted the reality that most people who buy these heavy adv bikes do 90 plus percent of their riding on asphalt you can buy 100 percent street tires for these adventure bikes now right you know, Dunlop makes the Road Smart three. That's all street. That that they make ADV sizes, 19 inch front rims. Pirelli makes one as well. So it so you that tire would be more than capable on a racetrack. But you could put a set of Q4s on the XR with a 17 inch front, and you know, all things being equal, same rider on both bikes. Right. You're probably going to go quicker on the XR. Well, without a doubt, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So I think yeah. that, 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 and that's just fundamentally, 
even do even the executives at Ducati might say, yeah, I mean, there's a moment where the razor's edge on a racetrack needs a 17 inch front versus a 19. But for the vast majority of people, right. I can say honestly that on a if, if I did a track day in Southern California on the multi with a pair with a set of Dunlop Road Smart threes, um, and and I threw myself into the A group, which is normally the group I ride on a track day, right? I'm I'm like a mid pack A group level rider on a normal bike, right? I don't think I'd be I, I think I'd be able to hold my own. I'd probably be a little bit more on the slower end of the A group, but I would be able to hold my own. It would be a little bit more work and I'd have to do things a little bit earlier. And, sure. you know, the turn in rate would be a little bit slower. And, but, you know, apexes and exits and, and the engine and on a straightaway and, and the beefy Brembo brakes, they just are the beans. I mean, they really work. Um, uh, I think that, uh, that it would be fine. It'd be super fun, you know. We're talking about an ADV bike that you have to ride. I know, I know. Well, yes, you I know, know, I can take this bike on the track, you know, ride me, you know, mid pack A group, you know. It's a freaking A freaking <laughs> ADV bike. I mean, really, I mean this well, is, that's, that's, that's what, really quite a testament yeah. as a testament to the engineering inside this thing. Exactly. Bikes are super capable. Yeah. This motorcycle, um, you know, my friend who I was mentioning earlier. He, he bought one a month ago. We had a school, uh, YCRS had a school at Button Willow. He took the multi to Button Willow just, just to, you know, just to see how it felt. He was ripping around on it and, <laughs> you know, couldn't have been happier with the experience. And, you know, I, the XR, a lot of, had that adventure by category, but that wasn't fair. I used to take the XR to the track and people were like, I can't believe you're ripping around on that thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is an S1000R with just, higher bars and like this thing is ridiculous yeah. it's so good and yeah. and i think the multi has a similar dna to it I, I i gotta say arthur like you know one of the things i think you hire me to do is to be more of a man on the street in terms of my impressions of motorcycles because i don't get too deep in the weeds on the technicals you right. jump on this thing you take a corner you feel like you've been riding it a year. right you, you know you you test it a little bit within within boundaries because you're on right. the street and it delivers in a multiple, you know, you yeah. bomb into a corner right. and you need more brake pressure. Those Brembos, they are there. The electronics um, were so elegant, so impressive. Right. The ability for the, the electronics to help you in moments where you might lose a little bit of traction, go over some gravel, um, you know, maybe the ABS kicks in. It never felt like, whoa, there's the electronics. Like, I got to blow. I hope I make <laughs> right. it like this. I, the only t I literally tested the electronics a couple times, and the only way I was able to tell that the that that, that they were working is because I could see the lights flashing on the TFT display. I did not feel it, um, and that's a real testament to the engineering and the technology. So kudos to Ducati for that. Pretty cool. So in terms of suspension and handling, I mean, you've talked about these different these different modes. And obviously, I assume that within the modes you can customize things, but within the factory default settings, so you can you can stiffen the bike up enough to to ride on track, and you can also soften it up enough, presumably at the other end of it, if you're riding off road. And were you able to play around? Were you able to play around with those, and and they were good enough? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, it's it's a it's a conversation maybe for another podcast, which I think would be a really a great conversation for you and I to talk about how electronics have changed the way we oh ride God. motorcycles and and we, could, and we could role play a little bit and talk a little, and you know, <clears throat> one of us could be the old school guy who takes the ABS out of the motorcycle before he takes it to the track because he doesn't believe that it helps him to somebody like me who welcomes all of those electronic aids. I just, I the welcome more... the whole lot because I get it wrong on a bunch of occasions. And <laughs> yeah, that's yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and I, and I have enough skill to get me into trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and the yeah. reality is that, that, um, I, I, I believe that most riders and I put myself in that category most riders will will not be able to outride the electronics on a high performance expensive motorcycle and so if you're if you're if you're being told you know to turn off the abs and 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 put the traction control to zero because your racer friend told you to do that odds are you're better off having that insurance policy at the pace you're running 
even if it's an A group, mid pack, A group, slow to mid pack, A, A group pace. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're the fastest guy in an A group on a, on a track day, that's prior to a race weekend. Okay. Maybe, but the, let, let's face it. The vast majority of us are not that guy or girl. And, and so to me, when I bought the XR and started taking it to the track, I did nothing to it. I left everything. I put it in sport mode. I put it in dynamic and I rode the thing and I never felt like it held me back. And, you know, I creeping up, creeping up on two minutes at Chuck Walla and it was all good. Right. So the multi, I would say has a more sophisticated electronic suite than the XR did in terms of the customization, which I think for some people would be interesting to them because they want to tinker. And instead of having to use the little wrench and, 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 and count the clicks, you <laughs> right. just go into the screen and, and do soft, medium, hard, depending on whether it's, you know, preload or compression rebound within those settings, you can customize. But, but honestly, they're all, I tried them all. They're all so good for the level of riding that I, that I do. I just didn't even want to go down that rabbit hole. I think part of the nice thing about having preset electronics is that they've done all the work for me. And that I don't have to. Is it preset? It's preset, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So exactly. You know, you set it and you go, and and, and just like the auto blip, it's one less thing to think about. Okay, I'm in sport mode. I'm going to go on a racetrack. The bike is set up. The engineers know what they're doing. Maybe I'll play with preload because I weigh more than the average human, unfortunately. Um, but um, uh, I'm working on that too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, they know better, and. I'm not going to ride past it. And if I did, then maybe when we get to that pointy end of the spear, um, which I'm actually trying to stay away from as a motorcyclist, to be honest, at 54 years old, I want to stay, you know, we talked right. at the school about a hundred points of grip. I want to be at 90 for the rest of my life. Right. Um, what's wrong with 90 points of grip? You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sounds good. So, uh, yeah, so I, I just, I just think, I think they, they, they nailed it. It's a really elegant suite of electronics. How, how easy is it to change? And can you change this stuff on the fly? I mean, one of the things that always is, intimidates me about these things is that, you know, I'm I'm rolling along, I'm off the throttle, I'm looking at the, I'm squinting at the flipping screen, I'm trying to scroll through yeah. something and I'm clicking buttons and trying, and I'm like, and I missed three corners just because I'm mucking around with these flipping electronics. How How intuitive is this stuff? The one thing I will say about the multi, we're living in these really interesting times where the motorcycles are so sophisticated now. There are three or four apps that you can download on your phone to be able to have GPS, to be able to look at your data, uh, to communicate with other people, um, and to you know sort of manage the, manage the settings around the bike. Uh, to me, that's a little bit of overkill. I would have liked the multi to just made a deal with Apple and do CarPlay because everybody knows how to use CarPlay as an example. Um, so that to me was a bit of a miss uh, in terms of usability, the user interface. As it relates to the electronics, however, and the ability to change on the fly, um, I think, you know, it, it, largely it depends on the kind of person you are. You know, if you're somebody who doesn't love apps on your phone and you don't spend a lot of time in front of your computer and you're not that technically sort of motivated, it might take you a little bit longer to learn everything. If you're somebody like me, I'm kind of a geek about all this kind of stuff. I enjoy it. I like playing around with stuff. Um, you know, I like to sync my Senna headset with my buddy and be able to talk to him while I'm riding. And sometimes I'll sync the helmet to the bike. But I think the whole industry, it's a little clunky. I think I don't think anybody's fully figured it out. It, I think within a couple of years, three, four, five years, you're going to be able to press buttons once or twice and everything's going to sync up and link up. You know, it's like the first iPhone is not nearly as technically uh, advanced as the one that we have today or Samsung or whatever you buy. So if you looked back on your iPhone sure. generation one or two, um, and you look at what your phone can do today, which is basically a computer, it's light years away in terms of its sophistication. And I think the motorcycle industry is trying to run in parallel with the way we all interact with technology I just think that they're one step behind. So in the multis case, the handlebar is very intuitive. You can change settings. Arthur, I don't remember if I changed, you know, street to sport on the fly or not. I, I honestly don't remember. But frankly, I almost feel like, to your point, you might want to pull over and do that anyway. 
just because, and even if you can do it on the fly, maybe you pull over the first couple of times so that it's very intuitive for you. But they're, the way they've designed the handlebar controls, very easy to use, easy to find stuff. And there's a lot of options, right? So that's a real compliment. Like you look at the TFT, there's so many different things that you can right. set and reset and look at. You know, we, we haven't talked about, you know, blind spot and, um, and adaptive cruise control yet because the bike comes with that. But that's all a part of it as well. There's all kinds of different settings that you can put into the adaptive cruise control and, and the blind spot monitoring as well. So I, I think they did a really good job with the settings around electronics. And I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge for people to download three or four apps in order to get the GPS to go onto their TFT and to have their headset linked to their link to the TFT, be able to play music and see the music that's on the screen. That's asking a lot. Right. It's asking, it's kind of like, do we have an iPad in front of us on the screen or is it a TFT? You know, maybe they bit off a little more than they could chew in that sense, but for the real techno geek, they're going to know. How to use it? They're just gonna they're gonna spend two hours. Right. They're gonna read the manuals. They're gonna go on YouTube. Right. And read all the right. and watch the instructional videos about how to set it up, and they're gonna get it. For some other people, they're gonna wish they just had a GPS mounted on on top of the TFT. The thing I always forget about uh, in these instances is, as journalists, of course, right, we're just writing the thing for the first time. So, um, so a lot of times we don't necessarily explore everything. Like you say, we don't have have time or the familiarity with it to really to, to to do it but obviously an owner it's their bike and sure they're not going to not going to set everything on the first day but after a couple of weeks of ownership and they start to dig around and yeah. they'll get very familiar with it and it'll be yeah on the on, on the flip side if you're not ambitious about the technology and you just want to plug and play it's very easy to just press a button go and ride i'm going for a ride I want to be in sport mode. I put it in sport mode and I go. I will listen to my music on my iPhone. I'm going to mount it right. uh, on, a, on a mount on the bar instead of putting it in a little cubby that they provided for you. Great. I got a little RAM mount. I sync my phone to my helmet. I listen to music. I want to talk to one of my buddies. All that stuff's going to work fine. It, it, and, 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 and in that sense, I give Ducati a lot of credit because it's basically what they're giving you is the ability to opt in to a more sophisticated rider experience if you want it. And if you don't, great, get on the bike and go, no problem, right? And, I, and, I, and that was smart. That was really smart. And I think not every motorcycle does that either. You know, some bikes, they really kind of force you into this electronic rabbit hole, whether it's the suspension or the ability to interface with other riders or your phone. Um, you don't have to do all that. You know, you can put your iPhone on a RAM mount, go to Waze, <laughs> map a route, you know, and off you go. I, I, I got to say, personally, I still really like a third-party uh, GPS. I really like having uh, just another set of hardware on the bike. Like, you know, BMW, they still, they have a TFT display, but they still have, uh, they come with, if you want to buy it, a pre-mounted Garmin GPS. And, you know, you can take it off the bike, you can plug it into your computer, you can go to base camp, you can, if you're doing a 10-day trip and you want to map out the routes, um, it's easier. You can do this with Ducati on your phone with the app, and and I'm sure it'll work. And and they spend a lot of time and 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 effort. You can tell. I just think it's going to be a it's be a little bit more. Uh, it'll be a multi step process. Sure, sure. I think you mentioned brakes earlier, and and uh, style, Brembo Stylemar, you know, braking, you know, calipers and so on. Yeah. Um, you I like mean, that? I mean, braking is such a it's such a personal thing about feel on the brakes and, you know, not having, I personally don't like a big mm -hmm. initial bite. I don't like to get a surprise if I grab yeah. a handful, and especially on the street where some, something makes you jump, something happens that yeah. catches you out. I do not want to grab a handful, have the brakes snatch at the front end. And suddenly you're, you're having to deal with a whole, yeah. whole bunch of other shit. I like something that's got a sort of relatively soft initial bite but then if you want to dial in a lot more a lot more power, you can do it very quickly and with a lot of feel. Yeah. And and how 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 was the melting on that uh, that sort of level? I agree for the most part. I, I I prefer the feel to the bite if I was gonna choose one or the other. Are you are you a are you a rear a rear breaker as well? Or are you mainly front? Yeah, you know, 
not not much very very rarely and 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 i think i i can't be i'm not 100 percent sure but i did remember asking the ducati executives at the launch i think that the multi has linked brakes i think you get a little bit of rear okay when you squeeze the front i think but i'm not 100 percent sure i love linked brakes because I've never personally been able to master that feel from my foot right. on the rear brake in the moments when you need it. Sure. And when you do have a little bit of rear, the whole bike just kind of levels down, just levels down, yeah. and the suspension just kind of yeah. gets into that sweet spot of the stroke, and you just feel like you can feel it. Sure. Um, you feel like you're in control. As far as the 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 multi has super bike caliber, you know, braking capability uh, it, it's it's really um it's amazing they uh they work so darn well and uh to, again going back to the confidence i think they're biting down on i think 300 330 millimeter discs i think yeah i think so you would know you would know better than me you make me sound stupid when you say things like that. No, no, no. no I, I just, I just, I looked at, I looked at the specs. No, no, no. I just. <laughs> well, at least one of us did. Crib, Thank God. Not a crib sheet, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's got decent sized rotors and and Brembo's biting down on it. Really. Yeah. You know, it doesn't get, doesn't get much better than that. No, there might be for, for a street bike. Um, yeah, know, for sure. And for a big, heavy bike. The other thing I really liked about the braking on the multi, you know, everybody rides different. I, I like the trail brake whenever I can. I just, I feel more in control just if I give just, just uh, engaging the rotors going into a turn, even if it's 5%, knowing that once the brakes are engaged, if I need more brake pressure, I don't have to apply the brakes from the, from the get go while I'm at lean. So if I cruise into a turn and I'm on the brakes a little bit and the brake light lit up behind me, I know that I have the, the tires loaded and I have the ability to play with brake pressure versus getting on them in the middle of a turn because I've, you know, cooked the corner or whatever. And, I found that there were moments where I really tried to get myself out of sorts a little bit going into a few corners just to feel how modularity, I think, is that a word, the brakes the brakes would have if I needed to increase the brake pressure in the middle of a turn to tighten my radius so that I didn't go over the double yellow. Incredibly linear, Arthur. Like that initial squeeze um, was was elegant. And then when I was lean, because there's all kinds of electronics going on, cornering ABS and whatnot, when I was at lean and, and on the brakes, if I needed to, to, to increase the brake pressure to tighten my line at the same lean angle, um, I didn't feel at all like I was out of sorts or that the bike wasn't able to do that for me, right? So, you know, like at the school, we always talk about load the tire before you work the tire, the first five and First five percent and last five percent of your braking pressure is always the same. It's just a question of how much brake pressure you need to apply in between that first and last five percent. So I was really playing with, oh man, I'm all banked over and the bike and I have the brake light on. Let's see what happens if I if I squeeze a little bit more because I want to get closer to the mountain on a right hander or I want to stay to the right on a left hander and I I need to tighten my line. And it was almost effortless, I have to say. It really was just you could feel, I mean, you you've ridden thousands of motorcycles i've ridden hundreds and you you know when a bike is engineered with up spec parts and it's put together where the hole is greater than the sum of its parts you can really feel that you know you don't know what it is exactly but it's like maybe it's the brembos maybe it's the cornering abs maybe it's the traction control maybe it's the engine maybe it's the ergonomic whatever it is it all they they it just feels like you really have to screw up to go down on this bike. That's how I felt most of the time. Like if I go down, if something bad happens to me, you know, 95% probability is because I messed up, not because the bike didn't have my back, you know? And, and I, and I think that was a, and there are definitely occasions where the bike will bring you back from the brain. I mean, without a doubt, like you say, this one in, in this case, big time, like I'm not saying to the, to the listener, like go out and rip it up and don't worry. The bike has your back. I'm just saying, in those moments where you need it to potentially help you right. use your skills to save yourself from almost to the hospital, right. this bike is going, if you, if you, if you give it the input that you need to give it, it is going to deliver. It is a, it is an incredibly elegant, right. you know, sort of motorcycle as it relates to that, that part of it. 
So sure. So in, I mean, in terms of, I mean, obviously we've talked about the competency, but but in terms of comfort, I mean, this thing is really, I mean, this is a touring bike. So you know, a hell of a touring bike. But but how how was that? I always found the previous multi a little reluctant to. I mean, you and I are big body position guys. Yeah. And I always found it a little reluctant to sort of move around in the seat. Yeah. You were kind of any position you want, as long as it's the one we've set. That's right. How, how, how does this, yeah. what's this they, one like? They, uh, I, I, I agree uh, completely on the older generation multi. It was hard to, harder to move around. Um, on this one, there's, um, I like to be away from the tank when I ride so that I can move around. Um, there was plenty of room for me, even I'm about six, three. So there was plenty of room for me to back away from the tank, kind of rotate myself, you know, sort of leading with my outside shoulder. If I'm going into a left-hander versus leading with my inside shoulder, just made right. it easier for me to be open. I guess is the best way I can explain it, but yeah, very easy, okay. very easy to move around. Um, if you want to, okay. you know, uh, and, um, um, uh, you felt like I felt a lot more like I was riding on the bike than in it. And I think when you ride in it and you get okay. that bucket feeling, um, it's harder to move yeah. around when you're on it and it's a little it flatter. Uh, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of get a, you know, get a, get a butt cheek or a half of a butt cheek or however you want to move. If, if that's something you like to do when the pace picks up, which I think you and I both like to do, um, it will, it's, 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 it is a very, very comfortable bike. I mean, okay. If it wasn't it, a big adventure motorcycle, if it's not comfortable, that's kind of a non-starter, right? Like yeah. one of the reasons you buy these bikes is you want to be comfortable because you're, you know, you're going to be on a 10 day trip right. or a two day trip, or you're going to be riding. It's all day comfortable for sure. You do not want to be crying after the third. You no, know, you don't, your butt doesn't want to be numb and you know, and you don't want to right. be able to, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly comfortable. You know, like again, thinking about it from 30,000 feet, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts on this bike. Right. Just the overall 30,000 foot experience is way more rewarding and fulfilling than like breaking down each individual piece. They all work really well together. That doesn't always happen. Um, so comfort to your point, um, as we get older, right? You're a lot older than me, a lot in caps, A-L-O-T. <laughs> all the all the letters yeah, I, a lot all the letters i yeah yeah i'm officially an old gifter now <laughs> and i and i feel i'm a ring, i'm a wrinkly <laughs> <laughs> well us wrinklies we want to be comfortable you know and and uh we do and i also think to your point about you know about i remember when when you and i first started riding together i think you had a a relatively old Jixer that you used to ride a lot and you put some bar risers on it. 2007. And I used to, th and I used to think, how, Jixer, is he, yeah. how is he doing that all day? Uh, I was always, I was always very impressed, very impressed with your ability to withstand <laughs> the pain associated with riding a sport bike all day in the canyons. But, um, but well, for me, uh, I ride a lot better. I'm more alert. And that's why I ride upright bikes at a racetrack because I'm more comfortable. Sure. If you stuck me on a panel yep. dolly, I'd be 10 seconds slower. I know it. I just know me, you know, yep. Um, yep. when I'm in the canyons on my GS with my buddies and they're all on their RSVs or sport bikes and we're all riding at the same pace. Um, you know, they're like, man, you're on a GS and you're going pretty good. And I'm like, I'm really comfortable. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, I feel like I'm flying right. business class and that really matters. It does, you know, to your yep. ability. Yep. To I remember when I first discovered that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. absolutely. So um, one sort of last thing um, on a slightly different note. I know um, you uh, you fell off in the sand. I wanted to give a quick shout out to Alpine Stars because you said that your airbag jacket actually went off. Yeah. How, how did that all work out? Yeah. I mean, man, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, shit, shit happens. I mean, hey, we ride motorcycles. We expect that. So, so there's no, no, no criticism. Thanks for making me. Thanks for making me relive a really embarrassing. Right. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm happy, I'm happy to. I'm happy to go into therapy here and talk about my feelings. I was. I was trying to be. I was trying to be nice, but you know. But yeah, I mean, okay. So, all right. So you, you know, you fell off, but yeah. So what happened? So essentially, you lost the front. You went over the handlebars or just off to the side, sort of head first. You wadded it. What happened? 
<laughs> I mean, I've got this sort of, I've got this sort of mental visual of you doing this uh, pole axing. No, I, so I, I, I lost. <laughs> yeah, that's why I still, I still can't really right. remember, Arthur. I'm, I'm all... trying to get, I'm trying to get a hand, I'm trying to get a handle on, on what part of the jacket hit, hit first, and when the air, when the airbag actually went off, and if it was actually effective, essentially, is what I'm asking. Yeah, super, supermaning into the dirt. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful, beautiful moment. So here's what happened. I was standing up. We were in a sandy area, which is not my favorite. Um, and I lost the front. I lost the front. Um, it it tucked so fast. I knew that I was going down right away. And, and I, all you had time to say was, oh, shit. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I was going to record the dirt portion because I had a Senna um, system in my helmet that had a camera. And I was too nervous to turn it on while we were in the dirt because I wanted to keep both my hands on the handlebars because ADV dirt riding is not my favorite thing in the world. So I didn't turn it on. But I wish I had because that guttural scream when I fell would have made for some great comedy. And I'm sure you would have posted it and clipped it and maybe put a little meme next to it and would have had a lot. Oh, of and, sl- and slowed it down. And we'd have done all kinds of stuff. With it. <laughs> <laughs> so I tucked the front. I knew that I was going down and I actually pushed myself away from the, from the bike. Cause I didn't want it to fall on me. So I had enough. Smart. My instincts were just like jump basically away from the bike. So I did jump and I was, uh, at one point, I was kind of parallel with the ground. So your Superman reference is actually a, a valid one. <laughs> as I was as I was Supermanning, and I knew that I was going to land, I, I kind of turned to my right, and I basically landed. Uh, thankfully, not on my helmet, but I landed kind of on my right side, my my rib cage, basically. The most okay. that took the brunt. You know, the, the Tech Air Five system they market from Alpine Stars. They market it as a street slash light off-road vest right Right. actually uh recently they've now come out with a with a software upgrade to the vest i'm not sure if you're familiar if you're aware but they just came out with it last week where you can now go into an app and convert your street vest into a track vest um the tech air 5 is now usable on a racetrack you just go in you set it to track versus street and you put it under your one-piece suit and you take it to the track awesome because it's so much thinner than the track airbag that they make so anyway just to the but uh so yeah so it popped and the the guys in front of me um i think they thought something pretty bad had happened to me because they heard a very loud pop and they thought maybe that was a maybe that was a tendon or a bone or something thankfully <laughs> so they came over and uh and no it was just the bag pop it, it it deployed um that that vest is so comfortable i don't even know i'm wearing it half the time but I always try to wear it. And I was so thankful because it, it went off. Um, I got up and I had no pain, you know? So right. do I think I would have been badly hurt without it? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Do I think I would have been incredibly sore the next day and been, and been whining about it to my wife for <laughs> a couple of days and used it as an excuse to have her do more things around the house? You betcha, hundred <laughs> percent. So uh, I don't. All right. Yeah. So I, I, I think it saved me a, a whole lot of pain. So when, when the airbag went off, did you have, um, was there any trouble breathing, or was it very constricting, or, or it just sort of, it sort of just went down pretty quickly, and you were just like, eh, you know, that's yeah. great. No, oh. I didn't. I didn't feel like. I think I have it sized correctly. I wear an extra large. Uh, I have a jacket that's a size larger. So I can give myself some room. Right. I had the I had the Kriga backpack on as well, and when it deployed, it it it, it didn't it didn't expand enough to break through the backpack, which is a good thing, and and it didn't preclude me from breathing either. It was I have a jacket that's one size larger. I think I've sized the Tech Air Five correctly. I'm an XL in uh, in that, and so. It, there was no drama. I have to say there was no drama. I was like, oh, right. I have an airbag on. This is awesome. Cool. I'm not hurt. Great. Help me take my jacket off. Awesome. Took the jacket off. Took the vest off. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm fine. This is awesome. I can't wait to go down the hill and call Keith from Alpine Stars and tell him, dude, what a great product. 
you're the man, right. which is exactly what I did. You know, when I got back, yeah, so yeah, great product. I gotta say, do you do you, do you use one when you ride on the street? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I wear both the Dynase and the Alpine Stars. Great. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're good. Yeah, I, I like. Them. I, I can't think of a reason why anybody who can afford it and who's going to be riding at a well at any pace really. I I can't see a reason not to own one at this point. Well, it's 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 all about it's all about managing risk. I mean, I think the 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 whole world has become aware of managing risk in the last year. You know, of course, with you know with with pandemics and you know how do we function relatively normally? I mean, of course, some people just lock themselves away, but uh, but for a lot of us, it's like how do I sort of manage to kind of sort of function relatively normally, but at least manage the risk as well. And I think. As as motorcycle riders, we're probably a lot more used to it than a, a lot of other people because riding motorcycles is risky. We we know it, we're well aware of it, and we accept those risks. Uh, we still want to do it, um, but we we try and you know use equipment. We try and um, uh, equipment not just on the motorcycle, but also obviously our personal protection equipment to to try and help mitigate all of those risks if the worst thing happens. It's all about absolutely, and you know what, and good. Uh... Good training helps there too. I wish more people took took schools. I wish they took advanced level schools once they got their license. You know, we it, we can you, you know in Europe, um, you know, you're from the UK or right the UK. I am a, yeah. a long time ago. You never you'd never know it by your accent. <laughs> but you know, they, there's there's tiered levels of licenses. But you know, in America, you can go buy you can go buy a V4 Panigale or a Multistrada. The week after you get your license, right? So, yep. You know, and the other thing about safety in terms of motorcycling, in addition to the wearing the right gear and and hopefully teaching yourself how to ride from people who ride better than you, is that we do a lot of things in our life that are that are dangerous, and 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 what can we do, like you said, to to manage that risk as much as possible, and 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 certainly having the right gear and 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 in the right the right training helps. It doesn't negate the risk. But it certainly helps. So um, I was very grateful that day that I was uh, that I had an airbag in. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. I mean, unless there's uh, anything else you've got to add, um, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate your time and and your um, unequaled energy <laughs> um, and your articulate explanation oh. about the Ducati Multistrada. <laughs> 